going get you on the screen with me. One sec. All right, there you are. Good. Um, all right. No dilly dally. We've got business to do tonight. We've got to get through some Horton, right? Uh, that's correct. Correct on Monday. Right. We are doing chapter one. Uh, yes, we've done it already. If you're wondering why we're being all brisk and weird, because uh, <laughs> stupid technology, <laughs> stupid, stupid, stupid. And uh, and we've actually done half of this already, and then it bailed on us, and then our oh. setup took forever, and it's just like, dude, I'm so over it. Anyway, so it's sheer love driving me on now, right? Love love for the techs, love for the people. Uh, got it, got it. Feed them with some Love for me, on. Mike. Love for me. Do you have any love for me? Uh, sort of was dimming on that love a while back. <laughs> dimming, fading to black. <laughs> just like my intro screen. Love. <laughs> uh, you got to teach me some of your cool tricks on, on Zoom one day. You know, all this all this stuff that you do, all this magic. Yeah, all this amazing, like, not happening magic. Oh, my goodness. First, I must master it. Then I can teach others. <laughs> Speaking of masters, <laughs> have you seen... Uh, have you seen Lee Irons on the show recently? I have seen Lee Irons on the show recently. No, kinda, great. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. Everything is uh it's just gone up a notch because like at the end of the day, Lee might be watching this right now. <laughs> and if that is the case, I, that look, just puts I on the pressure. I think he's doing really well. I I I think um I think you, you know the, uh, you you were definitely excited to do a show with him. I could tell that much. Oh, you were excited. So excited. I mean he's like my hero, bro. He's just like you, you were trying hard not not to not to be too exuberant, but to get his digital signature. I was just like, oh, please, yeah, can I just get yeah. you to sign something? It's like, it's like, would you would it be weirdly if I had your face tattooed on my chest <laughs> near my heart? <laughs> would that be weird? <laughs> I'm okay with it if you're okay with it. <laughs> I, it was you were excited. No, it was good. I, I really enjoyed it actually. I listened yeah. to the second one this morning while I was doing the shopping. And I think maybe that was a bad idea. I think maybe I I needed to to, to give more undivided attention. Dude, to that it's Lee Irons. You do not want to be shopping. You want to be sitting down with a pencil and a paper, and you want to. Be but when you out. run out of toilet paper in the Corona crisis, you gotta go. You gotta go. You just gotta go get that toilet paper. Fair there was no way. toilet paper, but, yeah. but still, yeah. That's when you use the paper that you were going to take notes on. <laughs> <laughs> that's it yeah yeah just you just got to crumple it up just your, your notebook paper you just crumple it up a bit get it all soft slightly yeah all right so anyways we are are not, we this is this? Not, yeah. not out of 10 for efficiency so far let's keep going right oh. um okay so last time if you are what we're going to do is we're eventually going to take these things and we're going to put it on a playlist and get nice and organized or on the podcast we'll tag them we'll keep them in a group and we just this is just entry level welcome if you're joining us great to have you with us we just um, refer back to the previous uh, Why Study Pilgrim Theology to get why we're doing this. We just want to enter in with some basic sort of paradigms and definitions, broadly making use of Mike Horton's text on, um, you know, his uh, Pilgrim Theology, which is the abridgment of his systematic, uh, or not abridgment, kind of a rewrite, um, and uh, it's really good. So you should get that, and it's a great, great sort of accompaniment for um, uh, what the stuff we kind of the stuff we talk about anyway on the podcast. So just to put it in a slightly more systematic format is good. Really, in chapter one of his uh, systematic, he starts off with a great question: um, How how do we know God? Essentially, is the big uh, question that needs answering. Obviously, in that. Uh, you come right into all the madness in the in the Christian world, and we've got a million different answers for that. A lot of it is just straight up wrong and misleading and not good. 
And, um, you know, really, this is, at the end of the day, why we study theology. We want to know God. We want to know what it means to know God. We want to know uh, what it means to be known by God. So um, if, if our theology is not helping us at that basic level, what are we doing? Um, and it gets surprisingly technical right up front, you know, on, the, on that point. So um, I think, uh, you know, he goes into faith and reason. We kind of slammed that around last time uh, in the recording, in the last recording. don't know if you have any thoughts you want to kick well, off. Well, I just think it's really import, important just to, to understand, uh, you know, um, and I know that this is one of sort of those pet peeves of Horton, but I think it really is a very, very important point for us to, to take hold of in today's society because everyone in today's culture, because everyone is looking for, um, is is working in this basic dichotomy of faith versus science or faith versus fact. Or, mm. um, and I think it's just really, and, and Christians have helped that along in some ways, you know, oh, you know, don't, don't worry about it. You just have to have faith, you know, as if, as if faith is something that you have um, in contrast to evidence or facts or reason or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And there's sometimes obviously where faith is going to stretch us beyond our reasoning, beyond our understanding, but it's not, it's not a contradiction to it. And so for him, just, you know, putting down the faith is based on the evidence that is there for us to examine, mm. you know, so take the res resurrection, for example, you know, mm. um, you know, you're, we're not being asked to believe that Jesus is Lord just because, 2000 years ago, there was a man who said so. Mm. It's more than that. You know, mm -hmm. he performed miracles and he rose from the dead. And it's on the basis of the evidence that is there for us to examine that we are to believe. Mm. And it's not necessarily that faith, you know, arises from that evidence or from the examination of evidence, mm. but that's the way that God is articulated is, or, or, or revealed himself is that here's the evidence, believe on that basis. Mm. Um, mm. so I think, I think it's just really important for us to take hold of, otherwise we just get lost in it. But I was thinking, you know, th th there's a lot of key, there's a lot of, um, difficult concepts or, or complicated ideas that come up in this question of, of, okay, well, what, what evidence then do you examine? You know, um, how do you move on? Okay. If I want to have faith that is based on how God has revealed himself to me, but, uh, how does that happen? Um, I was thinking of, of, uh, an illustration that kind of ties in some of these concepts that we're about to go through together. And mm -hmm. it's like this, imagine, and I think uh, this is not mine, by the way, this comes from somewhere, but I've no idea where. Okay. Um, but imagine we woke up in a room mm -hmm. uh, together and the room had no doors um, uh, or the door was locked or whatever. And there's, there's, we had no memory of how we got into the room. We just knew that we we're in the room. We knew nothing about ourselves, nothing about our past. We had, no memory, nothing. We're just, you know, rational beings, people in a room together. This and then you Plato begin to cave. work. A, a little bit like Plato's right, cave. Okay. But it's kind of like a, like, yeah, it's like a, a, I don't want to go Plato's cave because it might, it might not be the same thing. All right. Um, like, I don't want to, I don't want to irritate any hardcore Plato's cave people. So I'm just <laughs> doing my own thing. Here. <laughs> loosely, loosely based, loosely based on some philosophical ideas, which may or may not have come from Plato. Now you're going to take them off. They're going to hate you. There's no way <laughs> they're getting like... out of this one. All right, go. <laughs> so, so the, you know, the whole thing is... basement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not a cave. It's not a cave. Right. And we're trying to work out what's going on while we're there. Um, and can shadows. we know... 
Like I did, I did frame this discussion by saying it's not mine. I did not think this up. Okay, it was like um, this this unknown philosopher known as Plato. I mean, you might have heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, so you, you you're in this room and you're trying to you're trying to work out um, what is outside the room. Is there anything outside the room? And you've got various tools at your disposal, you know, and you can either um, look at things inside the room and see if there's anything in there that might tell you about the nature of things outside of the room. Um, or you might sort of use mysticism or in intuition or magic or whatever to try and divine what's outside of the room. Um, you know, or you can just simply give up and say there is nothing outside of the room. Um, and in some ways, a lot of what we're going to be talking about with these distinctions are ways in which how can we, as people inside of the room, the cave, whatever, <laughs> discover what <laughs> discover what is outside the room? Yeah, how can we know? So somebody comes along and says, "Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian because I believe, um, you know, I believe that there is a God. He's outside of the outside of the room. He's outside of the world." But you know, I believe in this, and you start to examine that. Well, how do you actually begin to examine a claim like mm. that? And I think a lot of—I don't know if that helps or, not, or doesn't help—but I thought it was—it was a helpful framework. Uh, or like, I mean, I think you should just go all the way to the world of the forms. You should—you should just bring it all in there. And I don't want to do that. No, <laughs> I just want to be in my room with you, thinking about what's outside the room. I don't want to go in any caves. Oh, forms and essences. I mean, that would be helpful if you wanted to make us Platonists, but like, it's not helpful if you don't want to make us Platonists. No, it's going to do that. No, well, actually, you know what he does say? Plato was kind of, you know, he he's very kind on Plato, right? He, um, yeah, this is this is not helping in terms of just building from the ground up. But Platonists, can't you just accept my 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 illustration? So, do you know what, Andre? That is helpful, and let's move on on that basis. Well, you know, it's in the the actual text. Let's talk about it. A revived Platonism was also important in the first century. Platonists believed that the transcendent one could not have created the material world since it represents a falling away from divine perfection. So the world was instead created by... My iPad froze. A semi-divine workman or demiurge. Mm. Mm. Yeah, anyway. so that's the kind of idea that the room is bad. Right. The good we life... to escape the room. And, and yeah, so you want to get out of the room by philosophy, essentially. And that's the whole uh, thing for him, the ascent of the soul. So tying it into into where the soul goes. Um, I mean, he's like, well, you know, everyone is basically trying to get out of the room via some sort of ascent. Um, yeah. You know, they're all, you know, maybe um, uh, maybe we've jumped a few guns here, but th- let's say they, they are already convinced there is God uh, or, or beyond the room. And, uh, and that's, well, uh, now we've mixed metaphors. I'm going to ab- abandon your Plato's cave basement thing. Which no, it works. It works. It works because it, it, everyone's it trying to get out of the room. Everyone's trying to get well, out of the room. Yeah, we're gonna create and confusing. You're trying to get out of the room by. <laughs> we're gonna create confusing mixed metaphors. That is gonna be like the no, anti-instruction. <laughs> we're the. Uh, I mean, we're doing the anti-Didascalus thing here, bro. We're just killing it. Uh, <laughs> you get the anti-Christ and you get the anti-teachers, right? We are fulfilling the role. Look, all right. Yeah, it's because you went there. You made it all about Plato. I wasn't going there. I wasn't going there. I was just in my own thing, loosely right. based on ideas of the past. All right, listen. 
Here's what we're saying. Forget that. Yeah. Here's what we're saying. Man, I hit him on microphone. It's just amateur hour over you. Um, if <laughs> basically um, you've got everyone's coming at this thing via some sort of bent, right? We've got, you know, and, and so he's he starts off saying, I mean, you mentioned the faith and reason thing, and I think that's good. In that, you know, typically the atheist thing is, oh well, you know. Um, how do you know God? Well, how do you even know there is a God? And, you know, it's faith versus reason. And he uses the illustration of the scales. You know, it's either or. And, you know, he really just cuts that right down and says, that's just not how it works. Um, you know, everyone's coming at it from a certain presupposition. Um, really, the and to, to a large degree, you know, uh, anyone who's critiquing those who are just kind of going on a whim and, and jettisoning reason, you know, that's a fair critique because that's a bad thing if you're doing that. Uh, no, Christianity is not calling you to know God by just simply jumping into, you know, into this blind chasm and, and, and just going into um, the whole thing without any knowledge at all. Um, in fact, it's quite the opposite. And Christianity, and this is, I think, the baseline for it all, especially as he ends off with, with the gospel, um, Christianity is just other than it's not like any other religion in the world. It's basically, and he talks about Paul just uh, dealing with the Epicureans and the and the Stoics, and um, the whole thing there is just that Paul's coming at this thing with a completely unimaginable concept for both Stoics and Epicureans, which is helpful because he 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 shows that really what you have there is a kind of uh, a contrast with all the kind of stuff that we would face today with the new atheists and the spiritualists and the various approaches to to um, religion and faith. And um, and he's basically saying, you know, uh, the very approach that Paul took in when he was speaking at Mars Hill is is uh, what we need to be aware of going into this question of of how it's how we can even have faith, how we can know God, how we can know that he exists or that uh, he you know, we officially know him. Um, and so, you know, th there is um, every reason to sort of dwell on what, what, what Horton was talking about over there. Um, but then coming back to your point in terms of just, you know, in all seriousness, how, how is it then that we do find, uh, you know, if, if we're saying that, that reason is not to be jettisoned in this process of trying to find out what's outside the room, if God even exists, um, then how is it possible that we do find God? You know, what, what, is, what is our claim uh, in that regard, why is it so reasonable? What was Paul saying um, uh, that that um, went against the all the Greek philosophers of the day? Mm. So, yeah, because I think that you know, understanding that what the Greek philosophers philosophers of the day were doing uh, was really helpful to understand basically how all thoughts has always happened. And, and, and essentially, there's nothing new under the sun. You've always got a certain number mm. of options. And mm. so, you know, I think the, the way he was talking about the, uh, the Stoics, which are basically like mystics, mm. pantheists, and mm. they see God in everything. God is totally imminent and knowable. And, mm. and you can, you know, it was all through, um, uh, yeah, like a kind of new agey, I guess, is is, yeah. is the way you know you can relate it very much to that sort of idea. Mm -hmm. uh, that like obviously you can know God. You've just got to, you know, look around you and just like be one with nature, man, right. and stuff like that. Right. You know, and that's <clears throat> so it's all, almost making. It. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got the 
uh, Epicureans or the Epicureans. How do you how do you how you meant to say it? Uh, the correct okay. way. Epi uh, yeah. Okay. So the the Epicureans, who um, are a little bit like the new atheists today, and they're saying, look, no, um, you know, it's impossible impossible to know God, all you've got is, you know, the facts and all that kind of stuff mm. <clears throat> goes beyond that. And, and if there is a God, you know, the Epicureans went, went atheists, but they would say that, um, that, you know, the, the gods were totally detached from the world. So the world mm. is operating independently right. of the intervention of the gods, which it functionally is the same as being an atheist, you know, mm. or it, it's, I guess, deism. But it's the same as right. being an atheist at a functional level. It's, yeah, if God is there, we can't find him anyway, so he's, he's irrelevant, which is what most um, atheists would say there. Yeah, so you got the new new ages and new atheists. I like the way you put that. Yeah. Um, you know, represented all the way back in Paul's day. And yeah. uh, all right, so what's Paul saying? What is the difference between their message? So I, I really like the point that, that basically um, uh, they're, they're both wrong in the sense that uh, the... Uh, the kind of new atheists or the Epicureans, um, you know, they have too low a view of God's transcendence. So, mm. um, you know, God is is even more unknowable than what the Epicureans uh, would would think, or even what the atheists would think, because they would think that if God were there and He were <clears throat> to be known, we could get there through our examination of the facts and through our use of reason. Mm. Um, and then, but equally, the the Stoics are wrong. The New Ages are wrong, um, mm -hmm. because they have too low a view of God's imminence. In the sense that they don't understand just how intimately God has revealed Himself and made Himself known. Mm. Um, so the problem with both of them is is that they miss the idea of the necessity of God's self disclosure or mm. self revelation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so you know if. <clears throat> if you're thinking you can somehow build this little ladder up to uh, to God using science and, and reason and facts, um, you have no idea how how high that ladder is, and also that none of it, your ladders can even get there. And so, it, yeah. you know, it's impossible to actually get there, which we'll get onto in a moment. Yeah, but the yeah. the um, unless God reveals Himself, right. uh, you can't build your ladder up to Him. Mm. And unless so, so, the kids are running, it's locked down. What can I do? What can I do? <laughs> no. <laughs> what do you want me to do? <laughs> um, so, <laughs> <laughs> you want to get your kid to do the rest of it, bro? Might as well. She'd love it. She'd love it. Mm. Yeah. Anyway. All right. You, the, the idea is that it misses God's revelation. For the, for the Stoic who's looking to nature and everything around him, um, the, only, the, only, the only thing, um, uh, they, you know, they, it's almost like they're missing out on the way God has truly revealed himself. And so they're looking to all the wrong things to know him and they're making it harder than it is. But then to the, to the Epicureans or to the new atheists, um, they're making it seem like it's easier than it in fact is. Mm. So the bottom line is for both of those two groups, we need God to reveal himself. Otherwise we cannot know him, mm -hmm. um, but God has revealed himself. And so we can know him even more intimately than, than we think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. And, um, you know, you were talking about the ladder there and I think Horton raises two good points in that, you know, 
as you mentioned, it's not even possible to build a ladder high enough in that he speaks of the reality of, um, well, firstly, if you could, you wouldn't want to because to stand before God, you know, to have climbed up before God without yeah. a mediator, uh, you know, is, is hell, not heaven. And that's a big mm-hmm. point that he makes again and again. Um, but, you know, you can't anyway. And so it's necessary for, for God to, to come down. But it is just a helpful way to think about all the religions of the world, all the, all the efforts, you know, whether it's via speculative reasoning, whether it's by, via, you know, philosophy or religion or moralism. Everyone's trying to climb that ladder to God uh, in some way. And, um, and, and it's a helpful way to just categorize the various worldviews out there. But, um, uh, you know, the, the whole problem then is just if God is so infinitely other and ontologically different uh, from the, you know, there's a creator and a creature, um, how is it even possible that we know God? Um, how is, you know, how are we even to receive true information? You know, uh, how is that 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 gap supposed to be bridged even in terms of communication and um and horton goes into a lot of detail here talking about univocal uh equivocal or equivocal actually um and um analogical knowledge which i think is helpful but the more i think about it it is probably not necessary up front you know if we're just building this thing from the ground up it might just throw in a lot of big words for no reason um but I think well, it- I think I think one one way that is maybe uh, you know useful to just to just float, although we don't need to get into massive detail about it, is mm. that you know so, so he has Horton has these key distinctions which I think are quite helpful, and we've been talking about the one the transcendence imminence difference. So mm. God is transcendent, unknowable. God is imminent. He's revealed Himself, mm. and everyone deals with that transcendence imminence tension. Or distinction in different ways, you know, whether you're the on the new age or new atheist side, and they both get it wrong. Mm. We need revelation. That's how you handle that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, that other distinction that you were referring to there of the uh, was it the, the qualitative, quantitative no. distinction? Is that what you? That's no. not what you had in mind. No, um, not at all. You, <laughs> not even close. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were. I thought you were talking about the infinite chasm. That's that's the no. that's well, the okay. So that's that's the yeah. There is a that's the problem right there. Um, that's why the ladder can't ever reach, etc. Um, uh, God is not just simply quantitatively different from the creature. Uh, he's qualitatively, ontologically different. But you know what you're saying there is that he he must come to you know the the way that that is overcome is is not that we can get to God. He comes to us. He reveals himself to us, but then the then the question, the next thing you're dealing with is, well, how do we even understand? You know, how yeah. is it possible for us to even, you know, is it true that we know um, univocally what God knows? In other words, you know, what He says to us, we know in the same way that He knows, uh, or is He so far from us that we know equivocally in that we, you know we just know something completely different? It's not even really the same thing. And both of those have real problems to them. But um, Aquinas was the big guy who came along and said, you know, we, we have analogical knowledge in that. Uh, and I like what Horton uh, has here as an illustration, actually. He says, by exclaiming, your mother roared, you know, your mother roared at you. Uh, no one is suggesting that your mom is a lion. Um, you know, that would be using roared univocally. Uh, yep. nor, 
that there is no similarity between the mother's manner of speaking and the lion's native tongue. That would, you know, that would be uh, an equivocal sort of like you're just saying they don't even have any bearing to one another. Uh, rather, there's an analogy there, right? It's a it's a analogical sort of approach where you're saying it, it's not the same thing, but it has its correspondence. So that's basically the way that we're able to understand revelation. Um, it, we understand it uh, through this. Yeah. Um, analogical approach. I think, you know, just to, to help people see that it, it sounds like um, a lot of academic, philosophical, intellectual language that really is just like, come on, just leave it alone. Um, but really, it's it, it's necessary if you're thinking about rightly about who God is as He's revealed mm. in Scripture. So, mm. if you have a right view of transcendence, you know, of the transcendent God, which you must have but mm -hmm. also a right view of eminence. Mm -hmm. And you understand that the, the transcendence of God is not only quantitative, which is that there's an infinite gap between us and God, but, but it's, it's more than that. It's qualitative. That actually it's not even the same thing. So you imagine your ladder mm -hmm. and it, your ladder would have to keep going up infinitely in order to reach God. But then when you realize that God isn't only different, different or transcendent uh, above us in extent or degree, but in a totally different, he's in a totally different realm thing. Yeah. Like it's yeah. a different, different ballpark, different yeah. ball game altogether. And so your ladder's going up infinitely, but it's going to the wrong place infinitely. And exactly. you realize that yeah. you can't, you can't go uh, through our limited resources. Um, into God, you can't enter heaven that way. <clears throat> yeah, it's like it's almost like two problems. You, you don't have an infinite ladder to begin with, but then yeah. <laughs> even if you did, like it would only take you to the wrong infinite destination. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know, which wouldn't yeah. even start to get you onto the right the right track. You know, so yeah. And even if you could, through some arcane magic, you know, get the ladder to go to God, you would end up in hell because you're a sinner in the presence of a holy God for all eternity. It's like, either right. so like, way, yeah. it's, just, it's just not happening. Bail, but that necessarily out. asks the question, well, hang on a second. If God is so transcendent, if he's so much other than us and so much better than us and higher than us, and his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, how on earth is it that we're able to, he's able to communicate anything to us mm. at all? And you say, so you begin to wonder then, is all of the Bible just... Well, it's not actually the truth about God. Yeah, it's you, you know what I mean. So, well, that's where the so philosophical is, debate goes. Yeah, and even with exactly. um, and it's all prepping us for understanding Jesus' own ministry. You know, and even just mm. you know, I suppose the the um, equivalent would be the Gnostic, the Gnostic idea that really it's impossible that Jesus would be physically incarnate. God could not be physically incarnate. You know, and um, and he's too holy, other he's too you know transcendent, uh, he's too spiritual. Uh, you know, the reality is you would reject the um, incarnation on that basis. And it's mm. a similar sort of thing in that you're, you're going, well, you know, and much liberalism does this. And, and you know, there's a lot of a lot of philosophy that will that will um, really major in on this where where, uh, you know, we couldn't actually understand God if we tried anyway. So we just got to work with, uh, you know, yeah. this make our own thing up, essentially. And um, mm. and, you know, likewise with the. With the other side of it, where you start thinking about process theology, and you know we understand God perfectly, and actually we're, you know, we bring God down to the creature level um, to to make that happen. Yeah. 
Um, so both of those end up in real problems. Yeah, so we are like abbreviating and Horton's abbreviating and you can really spend a long time tracing through the history of thought showing how this is um, this is a real deal. Yeah. Yeah. But a, bo a bottom line to that, and I think it makes total sense, is that you realize, you know, I think, uh, um, you know, it's that idea that we know truly, but we don't know completely or mm -hmm. we don't know absolutely. So, the, you know, um, we can talk about God's goodness, truly, mm. you know, mm. and we have a framework for understanding that. We can talk about God as Father, and it's true. Mm. You know, it's true that God is Father because mm. he's revealed himself that way. Mm -hmm. You know, not in the sense that we're tapping into the very essence of God, but in the sense of this is how God has wanted to make himself known to us. And we can yeah. understand that by way of analogy. And so, and that's where I, his <laughs> essence and energies thing comes in as well. Uh, we know mm -hmm. God and his energies, not his essence. And that's yeah. another helpful way to uh, approach the subject. Uh, you know. Yeah, what was that great uh, thing you mentioned it before about Kelvin? What was his quote about this? Kelvin. Uh, well, I, I know one of the, one of the, uh, the quotes I don't know if he mentions it in this um, this uh, uh, chapter, but I know Kelvin's all about the God speaking in baby language. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. just accommodating to us. In and you know, so I like that because when you speak to your kid in baby language, um, you're speaking truly. You know, it's not like it's not like it's a lie. <laughs> you know, as you accommodate and go, you know, Daddy loves you and whatnot. You know, it's just. It's, it's true. It's just not as complete as you could make it if uh, if you were dealing with perhaps an adult or something. Um, so even that analogy fails in that we're not only different from God in, by way of age, but, um, you know, we get the idea. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I, so how does general and special revelation fit into this? So God reveals himself to us in uh you know if we're in the room and uh you know horton says the way we meet guys it's the stranger that comes to meet us essentially uh how does he put it uh, meeting a stranger uh mm -hmm. you know where everyone else is trying to overcome estrangement uh we realize we can't do that uh god comes to us he uh, and, and he introduces himself to us and he does that through general and special revelation this is fairly standard stuff in in um in theology in that uh god uh has revealed in creation and conscience and uh typically what that would reveal to us is the law you know we will mm -hmm. will understand the holiness of god his power his um, you know, as Paul talks about in Romans one eighteen, you know, just his invisible qualities, as it were, just as we look out at creation, none are without, none are with excuse in that regard, and and then all of this is, uh, it's connecting with what God Himself has put inside of us, uh, not only in terms of this, uh, as Kelvin said, the sense of the divinity, but um, but even even in terms of the morality uh, that God has placed within our hearts this ethical imaging uh this reality of the the moral law written on our hearts um we know what right from wrong is we know that we do wrong not right and so this mm -hmm. is all uh certainly an awareness of god god is communicating god's doing that it's not us but it's usually law and then of mm -hmm. course um so that's yeah. what we talk about when we talk about natural law yeah uh, well yeah it's that so, natural natural sense of the law yeah yeah, I think so. In conscience, in in creation. Yeah, exactly. So what can be deduced just from, I mean, you've got a whole lot of different um, understandings of it, but yeah, certainly we would think about it that way. Um, mm -hmm. And and then, of course, um, you know, in terms of the way that 
we're not going to ever have any knowledge of the Trinity. As we know, we're not going to have any knowledge of any saving grace in light of the fall. We're just going to know something's wrong. We're going to know that we're doing wrong. We're going to have a sense of judgment. Mm. But uh, God must reveal, no one's going to understand the gospel. That's going to come by God's special revelation. Um, And initially, uh, all the way through. uh, And isn't it interesting that if you look at the religions of the world, mm. nobody has deduced the gospel. No, and everyone's deduced law. Everyone's got a ladder approach. They've all got a, you climb up to God, you ascend, you know. Um, Either you've got to go live in the mountain and pray for, you know, 30 days, or you've got to go, um, you know, you've got to philosophize your way out of it, or you've got to... um, um, just do good, you know, do, do as best you can. Um, I think it's a really powerful argument actually for the, for the, the, the gospel as being salvation by the pure monogistic grace of God, Mm. because, you know, it it is God alone who saves and he saves by his grace, because that is the one thing no other, no religion has thought of Mm. because you wouldn't ever think of that. You know, it, it's, yeah, like it makes no sense to us in our in our kind of natural law way of thinking. Absolutely, yeah, and it's it's huge, and and not only that, it's a good idea, but that it bears out in history with Jesus, and that's yeah. that's that's an amazing thing as well. In that you've got two two elements there. I don't know if you know that famous story where I don't even know if this is true, but I hope it was. Is it based true. on Plato? No, it's based on C.S. Lewis. Oh, okay. See, I know my sources. Willing to, <laughs> yeah, I, I willing to be upfront about that, <laughs> right? Um, so you you walk into um, uh, the staff room. You can imagine sort of C.S. Lewis, uh, you know, with all his stuff, but he's there uh, at the. Where, where did he teach again? I can't remember now. Was Oxford or? Yeah, Oxford, I think. Yeah. yeah. And um, and so you can imagine what that would be like, right? The, the staff meetings, all the Oxford dons there, and and uh, just going for it, and they're d- debating religion. And um, the chalkboard is filled with all these religions, and and uh, in walks C.S. Lewis, and they stop and stop me in these tracks. You know, obviously, just want to get a coffee or something, but but uh, stop me in these tracks. Say, well, you're a Christian, aren't you? Yes, I am. Uh, tell us what's so unique about Christianity. What's the thing that that makes Christianity, you know, what it is? And so he walks up, rubs all the stuff out, and in the middle, he writes the word grace. And uh, really, that encapsulates right there what you've just said in that everything, one way or another, has a work system. It's all law-based. It's all you do this to get to God, which comes from something. It comes from what man Mm. did in the garden and the arrangement that he was under and that very law that was written on his heart, that eternity placed on his heart. Um, That's why every sense of the divine carries with it this kind of baggage of law and legalism. And, um, and grace is counterintuitive at the core. I mean, it's the very opposite of what man was wired to do at that level. Um, and now, yeah. you know, yeah. the message yeah. that Christ would have done it for us so that we receive it freely is just, yeah. Um, but then that brings into the other, um, the other point that makes Christianity completely unique, and he does major on this in the chapter, which I, I really appreciate because this was a big point for me coming into Christianity. Um, in that there is no other religion in the world that's based on datable facts outside of yourself yeah. in history. And if that falls, it all falls, you know, um, there's just, it's all just a good idea. Yeah. Uh, you know, a religion is either a good idea or a vision someone had or something someone said, it's never based on historical <laughs> datable facts. And, um, and, and, you know, even just, I know we automatically go to the, the resurrection and we should, 
and uh, you've got so much there and he, he does he goes through all the classic sort of text lists how it's it's you know you've got the the external uh, witnesses there but one thing I've come to appreciate and I, I really think he does talk about this in the passage but I think it's just such a powerful point you've got the actual witness of the New Testament documents themselves which are you know we read as our Bible you know and we're just so used to it but yeah but that Bible couldn't exist if you actually have to think about this. Not only does it enjoy just unprecedented levels of authenticity in the ancient world, there's just nothing mm. like it. It's just singular. But even beyond that point, even like just assuming that, you know, you have you have this reality of the church that is being testified to, which just simply couldn't have happened unless Jesus had raised from the dead. No one would have done any of that. <laughs> it's just, mm. and you know, and even beyond you know anything else you need to consider in the resurrection itself, um, the the reality of the church, the reality of its documents, the reality of the preservation of the scripture. I mean, these things prove that something. Well, they're really the best argument we have for what happened in history whether you're a christian or not and everyone's got to deal with this uh you know the best argument we have is that it happened based on all these things that that are testifying uh to that reality so it's just it's so simple at some level mm. you know we we've i feel yeah. like we want to look past it too much but but there it is just smacking us in the face and it comes back at that to that discussion right at the beginning about faith and reason faith and facts and yeah, uh, it's full yeah. circle, isn't it? So, yeah, you kind of start off well. We're not saying that Christians know anything about God based on, uh, you know, reason or no. based on philosophy or based on mysticism. Mm. We're saying we know anything about God because it's based on revelation. But we are saying that that revelation, um, which is necessary because of God's transcendence and imminence, because of uh, we can only know things by way of analogy and, mm. and all that kind of stuff we're, we're talking about. Um, uh, the um, we we can only know anything like that if He reveals Himself. But we do have that revelation available mm. to examine, and yeah. I think that's the really unique thing. Yeah. So that's why it's not just a. a uh, oh, this scripture versus that scripture, or that you know, like you get yeah. that whole thing. Yeah. There's so many religions. Text, How do you know which one's text. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. There's yeah. so many holy books. Which one is right? No, it's, yeah. it's not quite. It's not quite as complicated as that because no. you're just asking. Well, uh, which one of these is actually portrayed God entering into real time and space and telling us about Himself? And yeah. and, and even that, I mean, you're just going. All right. Well, let's just let's. I think intelligently dismiss anyone claiming to reveal God to us without any level of authenticity to back it up and then ask what's left. And yeah, so, you only find yeah. one at the end of the day. So it's kind of, yeah. it's, you know, yeah. you know what it's like, I, I love this. And he mentions this, something like this illustration in the book where, you know, and it's like, you know, God reveals himself in the gospel. So you have the gospel preached. You can, you can be saved uh, as you believe. And there is a spiritual reality behind that. It's an objective reality. The, the real Holy Spirit is changing your real heart and really opening your eyes to truly see the glory of Christ. Mm. There's nothing, there's nothing, um, you know, that, that's not good enough about that. So, you know, we want to be clear that, that, you know, it's like asking the blind man, why, you know, how he suddenly can see, he's just like, or, or you know, uh, you know it, the vision itself is what testifies to the sight. So the reality is, you know, that that's at the core and that's going to, that's 
that's what God's going to do to those that that he reveals himself to. But let's say that that is like you, when you're a child, enjoying the warm rays of the sun, uh, sitting on your porch, and, you go, and you're going, Mom, you know, how... What is the sun? How how what's that light in the sky? And your mom says, "Well, you know, that's a that's a star, and it's sort of this is how it all works with the planetary thing and the the solar system." Um, you know, do you have to know all of that to believe and experience the sun in truth? Believe that mm. it exists? No, of course not. But if if you're, I mean, the year is every different. Uh, this is every issue in the world right here because because if you did decide to go and check out what was going on with that solar system you know that thing that your mom told you and you found out yeah. actually there was a lot there's nothing to show you that that's true and yeah. there's, there's nothing to account for this feeling that you've experienced or you know um mm-hmm. you, i think you have every reason to worry about that um, yeah. but if you just you know know that it's there and check it out and you know it's not that you're depending on those facts um to experience this reality but uh, it's it's verified the faith is then verified uh, as yeah. it as it moves beyond itself so you know obviously you're in a whole realm now I and mean, we could spend chapter after chapter dealing with the various approaches yeah. to this he touches on some of those but i think that's the that's the nub of it mm, okay yeah. yeah, yeah, I think I think that's um, yeah, it's very very helpful. Yeah, so I think that's that's in a nutshell. Like it's kind of an introduction just to the, whole, you know, how we how we can do theology and why we need to have com- why we need revelation, but also why we can have confidence that God has revealed yeah. Himself. And I think and certainly at this, yeah, yeah and on that, uh, uh, once we've established what He's revealed, know that we can believe it truly. If not fully, mm-hmm. uh, if not understand it fully, we believe it truly, and we can build doctrine on it. Um, yeah, and, and I love what he ends up saying. You know, this is sound theology has its source in the founding drama, with its revealed doctrines, and then through that, it's going to lead to doxology and discipleship, which is of course the mm-hmm. the rest of the story. No longer as spectators, we're disciples on a pilgrimage to the everlasting city, which is really the journey. Pilgrim theology on two age sojourner. Boom. That's uh, that's beautiful. So, yeah, um, you know, again, what we're trying to do here is just not really, we'll leave you to read the chapter by yourself, uh, not even trying to do it justice in that sense. But uh, hopefully that's just, you know, you got to start there. You do have to start there. You, you have to touch base on that. Um, this is why um, God's covenant, which is what we'll get into, becomes all important because that's how he reveals himself in the gospel. So uh, it's all set up. And then, of course, we understand the incarnation and Christology all comes from that. Uh, but let's leave it there for tonight. That's uh, a good... This morning. It's a good hour. This afternoon. Afternoon tonight. And uh, that's about an hour, I think. Well, I don't know. I've lost track. Anyways, all right, let's play out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.